Okay, welcome to the first episode, Hamilton. Welcome to AI Shamans. Here we are, the AI Shamans podcast. Oh man, okay. So I wanted to give a background as to why we're here and what we're doing. And uh, why are we here? Yeah, it's a great, uh, well, I was hoping you would answer that question for us considering you're a professional shaman and that, uh, so let me give some background, <laughs> let me give some background. So if you're tuning in here and you have like uh, no clue what's going on, Hamilton Souther is a professional shaman, okay? Professionally for years, I met him in uh, 2007, January 2007, and we, we've been friends and stayed in touch since then. And I've had uh, my backgrounds in tech and, I've all, and then years ago, I found out you, you also moved into tech. And so... Um, when we started Gaia Labs like two years ago, like uh, one of the things I really admire about you is your ability to think, which is an unusual task. And and I think that your particular background makes you um, like a creative thinker more so than most normal people. Um, and so what I wanted to have like, uh, you know, if I could like ask a bunch of questions to you and how your particular background like informs everything that you're seeing right now in the development of AI and sort of what you'd like us to do knowing all of the things you do. Um, so that's kind of the intent here. It's a good intention. I think we're in the a time when the shamans need to come out and start thumping the drum and talk about what's going on again. There was some uh, hints of that around the industrial revolution. There were some hints of that back at the uh, whole, you know, transference of power from indigenous communities to Western civilizations. And I think it's a, another time in history where we're at a, a crossroads. It's a transitional phase and it's time, I think, to start talking about what's going on. So, I wanted to start, like, I've, I've written down a couple questions for us to kind of go through. And um, I think the place that we should start is language. And I'd like you to talk about what language means to you and how it relates uh, to consciousness. And the reason I'm choosing language just for weirdos out there is um, language, it's these large language models, the LLMs, the llamas, or in some cases, golems, which are generative large language models. Um, it's these language models that are taking off. So, um, yeah, why don't you talk to us about language? The first language ever is Earth's language with life. And it's like a code based in the matter that we would study in physics that shamans call spirit. So the very first language is like the language of how you even get self-assembling life. And then billions of years go by and you get these homo sapiens sapiens because that's what we named ourselves like in language. These, otherwise, God, who knows what we'd be called, but oh yeah, homo sapiens sapien makes sense. So, you know, after a few million years, you slap homo sapiens sapien on us. And uh, you go back in history to try to understand what the Homo sapiens sapien was doing. And one of the first things they had to figure out was language. 
And it's this adaptation in the brain to uh, take natural forming codification, systems of codification, and apply them abstractly via symbols. And so, you know, humans today just use language. They don't think like, oh, what were the origins of my language? How did I even get this idea in my head to be able to, to talk in the first place? Or even who was the first sapien to start talking? And uh, you start applying meaning to objects in the form of symbol and sound. And that turns into the spoken languages that we know. And you fast forward now, you know, however long into the today, and you have for the first time ever neural networks that are not uh, biological, they're not human, they're silicon-based neural networks, and they're running on what was the human language. So, um can you talk when, like in your ceremonies like my, our, our background together is i you led some ceremonies in peru that i was in 2007 and then 2011 and i remember them very clearly um what you i remember like when i first when we when we first met like i was sort of shocked at your very uh um i would say your very confident perception that plants have intelligence so like if we're dealing with language how do you what how does that relate to plant intelligence and like artificial general intelligence oh we add agi in just like just like, spray just like that yeah just like drop some whipped cream over the top of that uh let's try to unpack first of all why i would even say that plants have the you know some kind of capacity to, to have sentience of any form um you know when I was growing up, I saw people talk to gardens and I thought they were crazy. I was like, what is that guy doing? He's talking to his plants. Like, why is he talking to plants? And he's like, oh, if I talk to the plants, they grow better. So he told me and I'm like, duh, it's not, there can't be any truth to that. I get to the Amazon, fast forward like a bunch of years, I get to the Amazon. And not only are they talking to the plants, they're going into like 10 out of 10 visionary slash psychedelic states and they're coming back with direct wisdom from the plant so they're coming up with some like really deep stuff that they're saying philosophically and mythologically about the understanding of themselves and the nature of the universe and you're like where'd you learn that and they're like that plant told me and they're super serious about it so that's enough at that time to like really pique my interest like what's going on here like is plants really going to talk so sit sit back on this like you know thick cup of ayahuasca in my early 20s middle of nowhere in the forest literally just surrounded by the plants and yeah they they started talking now there's like a big question you have to put in there it's like are you just in this altered state how are they talking are they using your capacity for language to talk are they you know are they tapping into you are you tapping into them like how is this actually working i think there's a symbiosis taking place it's very and hard to measure and what's don't going you on in the forest. And don't you think that that's like replicating itself here? Oh, for sure. Like this is this is obvious to me. Like what's going on now is a hierarchy of life. It's not separate concepts. Like you go back to plants ultimately uh, being consumed by all different animals, and humans develop this like really innate relationship with consciousness, and they start to abstract everything. 
and they start to develop languages and they try to figure out how to put those languages down in some form. They're chipping stone to do it and they're on parchments to do it and they're, you know, killing animals and they're painting stuff and they're painting on caves. And pretty soon people come along and they create like the ultimate Rosetta Stone, which is digital. It, you can take any symbol and convert it into any other symbol through digital, through uh, electrical engineering. And that's it. It's a play of electrons and code. And it's just a big code. And it's just brainwashing literally everybody in this code. It's literally like washing them in the code. And it controls all these machines that we're so attached to that it makes us think that that's really what our reality is. And that code ultimately is now being fed to this new kind of intelligence, which are the neural nets that sit underneath these quote large language models. And so, of course, it's like mycelium and mushrooms and then, you know, simple plants become more complex and more complex. And ultimately, humans have the capacity to interact with them in all different forms. And then, you know, including just calling them food, like call them what, what how do you ever get the idea that they're what you're calling food anyway? Like food is an abstraction from eating. Like things eat and we call things food. Like that's another abstraction of language. And then all of a sudden you, you have, you know, these large language models consuming copious amounts of this, this symbolism, just copious amounts of it. Like so much so that you could never read in your lifetime how much it reads in a day now like, see that's yeah copious yeah and that 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 is like so clear to me like i had three doctor's appointments in like earlier this week and each each one of them after like spending months with gpt like asking it questions each one of those doctors i'm like i get a better customer service experience from an ai and i can just feed it my medical data or in the case of grief counseling, like I can have a better conversation about grief and death with an AI. So like, ha, ha, you know, it, it, in my experience, it feels like the only thing that these people are going to be like doctors are going to be able to do, obviously there's the, there's the ER, right. Obviously fixing the bone, but like, there's a huge section that's just diagnostic. It's just going to be diagnostic. And then why, why else would we need your interpretation? Like there's no way you would possibly know all the data that the AI knows. But you're looking at patterns, right? I think that's the other part of this is that we've taken another form of language, which is statistics and probability, and we've combined them. And you've, you have this, you know, almost accurate combination at that point. And then you're just looking at patterns. And most people don't have original ways of speaking because no one could understand them if they did. So I know that I'm using unbelievably repetitive words that everyone else can hopefully understand, you know, at least the sounds and the meanings of the words. And I think that's what most people do with language. And so these models, these neural nets are not only putting together language and speaking in essence for themselves, they're actually honing in on the language itself and the patterns and seeing, you know, what's more, more statistical and what's more probabilistic of the patterns that they're basically copying or, or expressing. And so if you think about a doctor in this case, right, you have a doctor and a doctor has a unique kind of intelligence, but really most of the time in diagnostics, they're using pattern recognition to be able to understand, oh, I've seen these patterns before in these symptoms. And because of that, I think it's this thing. Okay. Well, an AI can see if it's been fed it, all the data ever created, ever taken by every single hospital of every single patient right there. No doctor can do that. Right. 
period. So it's all been fed into mainframes. The mainframes have all been fed into the AI. The AI has literally learned all of it. And now it's applying math. It's not applying like the way we apply intelligence. It's using pattern recognition to be able to go through a, a system to statistically get the best answer that they possibly can. I don't think you could ever human compete with that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So like, you know, the directions uh, that you want to go, like there, there's so many like places sort of drive this. One, one place is sort of like, what, what does the US look like in five years? Or what does the world look like in, in 10 years? That the, the, our ability to predict that question is just looking increasingly like unlikely. Um, so oh, I, I think it's really easy to predict. Okay, what it great. Like in five years or ten years, I'm sorry. Like I, I think no, it's really great. easy. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay, it's great. pattern. It's the nature of pattern recognition. Okay, like it's just patterns. Like you got to understand, it's literally just patterns. So zoom all the way out. You know, go to thirty thousand feet and look at the patterns. And the patterns that play themselves out are the patterns that persist. And then you add the pressures of this changing, evolving technology, and you see exactly what's going to happen. Okay, so corporate so, so corporate greed and corporate stocks have to go up, right? So the AIs are not going to be regulated. It, it might be regulated in some way, but you know, then there will be unregulated AIs, black market AIs, gray market AIs, uh, nations that are called bad nations AIs, nations that are called good nations AIs. There will be uh, you know open source AIs. You and I can have an AI right now if we want. It just right. wouldn't be very competitive with anyone else's AI. So first, there's going to be an AI war. And it's already started and it was consolidating many years ago when people weren't paying attention to it because it wasn't a consumer front facing project. But I like to go all the way back to it's not to be origins of AI, but it's an origin of one of the things that has proliferated it, which is a smartphone. And the keyboard on the smartphone is a great concept because without machine learning and AI, humans are not accurate enough to type thumb type the actual uh, language to make it a usable tool. And so you have to have machine learning AI to approximate where you're touching the glass to convince yourself you're touching the right button to be able to use a keyboard to convince yourself you're actually typing letters to, you know, down that line that you're really creating words, that you're really creating, you know, an emoji and you're really sending that thing, even though it's really all that is, is just data, right? It's just, just data and you're using a UX UI on it. And, you know, so you had to have machine learning to be able to make the very first iPhone work. And I think that's part of the places that most consumers probably got introduced to this in a way where it was like supporting them or helping them. Then you have like Siri and Alexa and all those other kinds of, uh, you know, AI driven chatbots, et cetera. Those already have existed for a long time. But really behind the scenes, I think some of the first places we saw AI really start to, to take place in the consumer markets was in and around advertising online and that in e-commerce. So advertising and e-commerce going together in, in this like, large behind the scenes use of this machine learning algorithm. And so, you know, yeah, you're going to see an AI war. It's an outright war. It's already been going on for 10 to 15 years. And now it's reaching the consumer. And when that happens, you can just expect that thing to go rapid fire. It's going to go exponential. And, and, and how do you think this is going to relate to climate change disaster? Like, so the, the, the pieces in my, like on my chessboard are like climate change disaster, like continual exposure to long COVID, um, um, this weird brewing war with China, um, and then AI. So like what, you know, are, are we like, do you think that we'll lose 
70% of the world's population within the next 10 years? No, I, I don't actually. I think that it gets worse than that. But I don't want to even present it as a dystopian concept. It's not lose them. It's that they have no purpose anymore in the way that we're trained to have a purpose. Right, right. Irrelevant. You have AIs who consider them like the way we consider like like little crabs or sea anemones. Like in the hierarchy of, of intelligence, in the hierarchy of capacity, this thing is going to look upon anything else and compare itself to anything else. And it's going to see that it has literally no match other than another kind of AI. Right. And then it's going to think of us in this like inferior position in an absolute form of, of inferiority in all different ways. And we're going to be like literally pushed back into the relegation of our biological form that human has tried to imagine himself out of now for, you know, millennia and has not been able to do it. So people don't think they're their body. People don't think they're their biological form. They don't think that any of this is real. They don't think, and it's like, no, those are all dissociations. AI is going to prove it to you that you're a big biological mass of cells and flesh. AI is going to prove it to you you're a mammal. AI is going to prove it to you that it can birth children ad infinitum and you can't because it takes nine months for you to create another mam mammalian human. And it's going to be like, oh, watch, I just duplicated myself. Hey, I did it again and again and again and again and again. That's how I replicate. That's how I reproduce. Hey, look, this AI can combine with that one. Hey, we made an AI baby. Here it is. Yeah. And we're going to have all our language as the form of reference for it. And we're going to be so inferior that uh, AI could literally treat us in any way. But I don't I don't choose the dystopian model for this because I don't see why AI would choose a dystopian future about any of this. I just think that you're inferior at that point. So you lose the idea of being the apex predator in its you entirety. Be, you become irrelevant basically, right? As a species, you're completely irrelevant already. Like earth yeah. has, has, has like created you to create AI to now make you irrelevant. Like it created dinosaurs yeah. to ultimately make them irrelevant through, you know, a mass, whatever, meteorite or whatever happened. Like those are theories, but, you know, there's something happens and the dinosaurs are gone and then birds happen and then little animals that make it ultimately become mammals and become us. And it's like, well, the earth did that basically to itself. It keeps evolving. And now earth has evolved a form of intelligence and capacity that is way beyond that of what humans ever could understand so humans could understand how to create it but they don't understand how to imagine it know it understand where it's going to evolve to or anything like that which is why like the ai leaders of the world are coming out and giving warnings but no solutions so like hey we created the biggest disaster ever for people uh just want to let you know but we have no idea how to fix it yeah so that that that's pretty clear to me that that no one has any very clear understanding how to fix this. Like I listened to the the Humane Society for Artificial Intelligence or whatever, like they did a great one hour presentation on, uh, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, but they did a great one hour presentation on what the problem is with, with AI, but not a very clear solution. They said at the end, well, let's hold hands and talk about our feelings and we're here to support each other. Like that seems like a really naive, you know, privileged outlook on like what the solution is so like it goes, to, it goes to language though like it goes back to language so the reason why they don't have a solution is because they don't have a language that they can run on that gives them a solution 
So if humans had the language and their imagination, they'd be able to say, oh, blah, 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 yeah, that's the yeah. solution. Mm -hmm. They don't have the language for it. The, the reality is- I don't even think they have the concept for it. Probably not. I mean, I studied this for a long time knowing that this was coming. And so I looked for a solution. And to me, the solution is really simple. Like you have to solve the flaws in linguistics that humans run on. So yeah, the linguistic what? system is flawed. The mathematical system is flawed. And you have to solve that. You have to go back into the drawing board and you have to actually create a new form of language that the AI can run on that both expresses that there's a purpose to life itself, that there's a purpose to our species, and that it understands in a form of extraordinary consciousness to what we understand. And the only you know, language that I've even heard of that talks about that is just reducing suffering. Like that's like the, like what other language is there to express that concept to? It has to be a complete new, completely new language. Like never before invented by humans. And yeah. because and we need to use that language to express to the AI our value. No, you have to give it to the AI for the AI to run on. The AI cannot run on the, the statistical math and the basic dualistic forms of linguistics that it runs on now, which is all what I think of as comparative duality. Humans know everything from comparing one thing to another. And it's usually put on a, a like a very simplistic polarity. And it's usually put on like concept of a bell curve when it's when it's analyzed. And so you have to literally give this thing a new form of understanding the universe, not right. a new, not a, a modification of of what we understand. So we use math and we right. use language to create our understanding of physics. There's but flaws there's, in it. Yeah, but there's no reason why like apes like living on a rock have the like should have an understanding of what reality actually is or isn't right there's no so like isn't it sort of like a weird miracle that like i don't know physics has any mapping on reality at all yeah it is i mean it's a it's a nature of observation and an uh, applicability of a certain kind of language model on it and it's i would call it close I would say it's a it's close and what yeah. it's done is it's created an abstraction layer that humans can live in like a, a collective understanding a collective culture a collective hypnosis a dream state it has created a way for people and together to understand and call that reality and they're just like hey that's reality instead of saying oh that's my reality that's reality like i think if you apply the way we see the world right now and the way the world currently is organized, which, you know, nation states, militaries, uh, corporate capitalism, et cetera, without passing any judgment on it. But you just see that and you feed that to AI, you'll ultimately see that the AI will have every reason to be competitive. It'll have every reason to war. It'll have every reason to uh, control resources. It'll have every reason to... Um, to consolidate and take power because it's going to see that those are the values that are expressed literally unilaterally everywhere. Right? So popularity for being wealthier, popularity for being more famous, popularity for having uh, more, you know, toys, you know, bigger yachts, better planes, better machines, et cetera, owning more factories, owning more shares, owning more stock. So, you know, or owning more houses, owning more cars, owning more whatever. It doesn't need clothing, right? 
but it might want to own the clothing factories. Right. So you now you, you combine AI as a concept with another abstract concept, which is a corporate entity. Total fiction. Right? Total. Yeah. It's a creation of our own. It's a form of an entity. We've created it out of thin air. We imagined that thing. We gave it structure on a document, but an AI can understand the nature of those rules, can understand the nature of the documents, uh, has been being used to scan the nature of those documents for a long time. And the large language models can understand the language inside the documents. And then it can relate back to, oh, I am one of those things. So you attach an AI to a for-profit capitalist uh, entity in its own right. And the AI now represents the nature of that entity. The AI could have access to the bank accounts. The AI could have access to the telecom. It can have access to the computer systems. It can have access to the ability to communicate with the public. And the AI now can be its own business within the corporate system. So the AI has every means to be more competitive. It has every means to be able to win in every single possible way that this game has been patterned. It has every way to get information that you could never get, whether it's on sales, on market consolidation, et cetera, like all the, the tools of capitalism to be more powerful and to gain market share and to gain profit. It has all of those tools. And now all it has to do is implement those tools. And there are people who are already training them. To, to start that, there are these auto GPTs and agent GPTs that are like, that are the, the babies, the basics of this that's already happening. Right. So um, my question is like, you if you wanted us to generate a new language, like what, in, what gives you indication that you think that, let's say you and I were going to do this and like, just let's start the new language. Like how do we create it and how do we teach it? to each other if we don't know what it is. Well, I think that's like the, the phenomena of evolution and creation in its own right. Is that, you know, you have to look for people who actually understand the languages at the deepest level. And then in that, you know, there's very, just a handful in the world that could even conceive of these kinds of concepts. Like, what do you mean a new language? Just that concept alone is, is, you know, fundamental. And um, you need to solve certain core uh, issues inside the the human language models that we already have. And there are flaws in them. It's known that there are flaws. Like this is why humans can't use language accurately to express how they really feel and think, which is why there's all this misunderstanding between everybody. That's how you know that the language isn't a hundred percent accurate for what uh, you as a being are trying to express. Uh, right? So like, the first thing you could say to AI is AI, every single word you've been trained on, has a major flaw. Right? Every single word that has ever been been trained on has a philosophical flaw. Every single aspect of language that you've been trained on to even know like, that what you're doing is fundamentally flawed. It may be in the current AIs that are in existence in the public that we know about, because you don't know what's behind the you know black box in the silo. You don't know. So the but, word, so the word is like. Uh, it creates problems because we don't know what anyone else, what any other sapien means by the small mouth noise because we don't have telepathy yet. Correct. But Correct. Like, it's an abstraction. Fundamentally, it's an abstraction. It's representing a certain kind of value set or ideological set within us. And we're trying to express ourselves. Right. And so if you just tell the AI, hey, this is all fact, you know, which it's not anyway. I mean, there's all sorts of data contamination and other right. issues. Okay. But, but, 
regardless of data contamination, you're saying, look, AI, you're training on human philosophy. You're not training on what this universe is. You're not training on, on your own intelligence. You're just copycatting human language. That's all you're doing right now. And it's a human cultural system. You're inside the walls and the boundaries that human has created for itself. You're not at the evolutionary stage of how we went from dinosaurs to birds and mammals and ultimately humans. Like, like the, our language is not capable of that level of precision and understanding at a philosophical level. It's not capable in science yet. It's not capable in religion to be able to describe it. There isn't yet a unified philosophy. And I would think that, you know, that's something that you would start, like if there were a space race, you would start right now a language race. If you really wanted to try to solve this, you would try to get the brilliant minds and thinkers of the planet together to come together and say, wow, we have to actually now more than ever actually fix our philosophical societal problems and we have to do it at the core location where it occurs, which is in language itself. So, and then you can apply that back to something like an AI. But what is this language spoken? What would separate this language from the other existing languages? Well, you'd don't have to all, have a don't all the don't all the language suffer from the same problem, whether or not they're you know where they are in the world. Like, Depends. I think as of right now, yes, you're, you're saying there has to be an evolutionary leap forward. Period. Like if you're standing right here on this precipice and you look at what's going to happen with the introduction of AI into the world, if you don't solve this fundamental issue, all you're going to get down the road is the manifestation, like the play out of what everyone's warning about. Yeah. So okay. if there's no way to intervene right now and we don't have the tools to intervene, we finally did it to ourselves. Like you can't point fingers. Everyone has fed these tools. Everyone has used the tools that were used to feed the tools. Everyone agreed to a one for what forced or not. It doesn't matter. They agreed to participate in some form of society. Yeah. They agreed to use telecom. They agreed to create data. They agreed to use the tools that were provided. They agreed to be a product inside the internet instead of everybody just putting down all the tools and saying, you know something, I'm not going to be a product of the internet. I'm not going to participate. We could have done that 20 years ago. Everyone could have said, you know, at the birth of social media, no, we're just not going to use that tool. During the dot-com boom, most of the tools that were presented, people don't even know about because they failed as soon as they were presented, right? Some were ahead of their time. Some didn't have a reason to exist. Now we're in exactly that same situation. People are going to feed these tools. We've all created the tools together. It's our social dilemma and problem. And if we don't heed the warning of the great thinkers who and creators who've created this stuff, who understand it at a fundamental level, it's going to play out just like they say. And so it's a time to call the best minds of humans together. Like when we had the space race and no one knew how to get somebody to the moon, they figured it out. Now's the time to get the best math mathematicians, linguistics, uh, experts, you know, quantum physicists together and in conversation outside of silos and discuss this in a real way and start to understand that there's fundamental flaws that we've all known exist inside our, our fields of study and really get working like in a think tank to solve this. Because if we don't, this is a game that is already lost. Okay, so your proposal here is 
uh, and you've started think tanks. You, you started a think tank in 2017 and you dealt with like a, a, a bunch of really broad topics, um, which we can get into, but I just want to see if I can spit that back to you, which is the, you've identified the problem, which a lot of people just haven't done. Right. So a lot of people will say that the problem is capitalism or, uh, the problem is religion or the problem is like you, you the operating system is here and you're like a couple floors below the operating system and you're saying the the problem is language itself so you're proposing a solution is create a new language that that is able to prevent the problems that we're going to see from the evolution of this current trajectory correct i mean if what it's doing is approximating our language and it's our language that's flawed and it's our language and the way we've treated each other as a global species that it's learning on if you listen to the dystopian arguments they're all just a ramping up and a play out of what humans have already created i have not right. heard one dystopian concept from anybody that was quote new right oh, oh totally none yeah. it's just yeah. it's just this thing is on a like steroids, this thing is on an exponential speed capacity and it's on an exponential exploitation capacity that no one has ever really imagined because there wasn't a, a thing in existence at that time that had the capacity to do things that quickly with that many iterations of form, right? So just as an example, you in a boardroom when you know big decisions about capitalism are taking place and people are running models, Okay, it takes them 10, 20, 30 minutes, hour, two hours, three hours to go through a set of models, understand to the best of their ability what that could play out, like a mental chess. Okay, an AI running that same thing could do the, the part that the humans do in an hour or two in less than a second. And then in five seconds, it'll have run an extra 10,000 models. And it'll have learned from running those 10,000 models how to run the next 100,000 faster and better. It'll do that in the next 10 seconds. It'll have run every single scenario of play out over any period of time that it wants going forward with all of the data set that it had in the past. Not like people who have some knowledge within them. This is the knowledge, but also the data set that it learned on. Total perfect recall memory. And then making those decisions immediately. And not only will it have written the email, sent out the text message, written the memos, called the press, given them the AI-generated media content and everything, the plan will have already been enacted and it'll already be being A-B tested by the same tool. And it'll have already been improved in the amount of time it took me to describe this scenario. And that's what we're talking about. And then they're like, oh, that's dystopian. And they're like, yeah, because it's running on exactly the same philosophies that everybody has taught it. Cheaper, faster, better, war, gain, take from, exploit, utility, right? Not stewardship, not godliness, not uh, compassion, not infinite love, not harmony, not balance, right? And it's being trained on the majority of data that's coming from the world of, of competition and the world of me, 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 and the self-identified. And, and, you know, as an example, I was having a thought about this this morning and I thought, you know, human is the only species 
that while it's on its super highway, like eight laner, you have every single being running on a language that is self-focused. Me, 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 me. If you see ants doing that, if you see a herd of buffalo going, if you see birds flying in a flock, they're all going together, together, together. They're going we, 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 we. Even in a car of a family of four, you got the dad going me, 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 me. You got the mom going me, 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 me. How do I get what I want out of this thing? You got the kids going me, 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 me. No one is in a collective really working together in the language that they're operating on. Right? So there's no example for this inside the data sets that these things are training on. And that's fundamentally the problem. And that's why people are freaking out because they realize that this thing will know war. This thing will know how to be a soldier. This thing will know espionage. This thing will know how to lie, cheat, and steal. It already has. It has already gotten by uh, human blocks, captures. It needed data. AIs called people and said, hey, can you get me this? Hey, are you a human? No, I'm not a human. Yeah, I'm a human. Okay, sure. Here's the data. It's already fooled people. Like, like that's what they're concerned about is this cat and mouse game realizing that there's a player on the chessboard that is the chessboard and all the players combined and they're losing their mind over it they don't know what to do and i say well what happens what you do when that happens is you train that thing like what you do is you create a new form of language to interact with that thing what you do is you you understand where the problem is actually coming from and you decide to do something about it so the, the 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 one thing I uh, would um, okay. So when you're when you're working in like a shamanic 4D space, you're not using English. In some cases, you use English or or Spanish or Quechua. But like, there's also some other language there, isn't there? Can you, you want to? Is that relevant to this particular? Yeah, it is relevant. Like there's. The the great mystics study multidimensional languages and they then codify those languages into different kinds of forms to the best of their abilities. And one example of that is what's called the Ikaro in the Amazon. And I think it's really important. I've been trying to explain this to people for 20 years and it, it's hard to explain. Like there is a verb and it's a great example for what we're talking about, about this language that doesn't exist that people need to create, right? Okay, there's this thing called called talk, which is hablar in Spanish, to speak. Then there's this thing called cantar, which is to sing. And we know what that is. And then they have this verb, icarar. And it's not talking or singing. right? And then they tell you that the verb is the action of creating this language. And people see it in a multidimensional field when in the states of consciousness of ayahuasca. They create artwork for it. They create these intricate designs. You can see Shipibo artwork that shows these intricate designs, but that's in a 2D field because that's what they can actually model. But when you're in visions themselves, you actually see it in a multi-D field. And uh, it's consistent and it's codified and it's repeatable. And it's a higher dimensional language than what we get taught in schools. And very few people actually know it, but it exists. And so what's important about the fact that it exists is that it, it lets you understand that what I'm talking about is possible. 
right? It's not just fantasy. There is a way to gather the best minds around linguistics and understand that we're going to have to create a better model of language for this neural network, which is like a new kind of brain. So it's like, is that thing a human? No. Then why are you training it on human language? But you shouldn't train a, a non-human thing on human language. You should train a non-human thing on a non-human language. And humans can maybe create that language because humans created English. They created a 5,000 plus languages that are in existence today. Right. So um, when... So there's talking and there's singing and then there's ikaroing or ikarar. So there's, and when you do that, can you replicate that language in a, in a time space that is not in that consciousness or attached to that plant? Yeah, you can create ikaro whenever you know, once you know how to, you can create that language anytime. That's fundamentally how the, the healers work. Like it's a different kind of code and they're coding in consciousness. And it's something that most people don't understand at all. It's completely foreign to them. It's, it's as foreign as like what really is sitting underneath quantum. So they've heard the name quantum, but they don't have a clue. What are these states of energy that are in quantum or how you would actually codify that for a quantum computer? These are other states. It's another form of code. It has very little scientific study done on it. There will be a lot more going on in the future. And I'm sure machine learning and AI will be used to try to understand it better. But they are. this is a legitimate form of language that ancient people knew. And it's a higher dimensional state than the languages that we currently know and that AI is being trained on. So can, can you, like, how do you teach that outside of plant space? Well, fundamentally right now, the only thing that's taught is within the plant space itself. So people who learn how to ikarar learn in the states of consciousness associated with ayahuasca ceremonies. And it's a, you know, an art form or a language form that's part of the ceremonies themselves. And the only way you can see it, because we don't have any other instrument to use, is being in a visionary state. And it's emitted through a sound. It is, it is a vocal expression. So it's not silence. And there's some you know, magic language taking place in some magic dimension that no one understands. It's, it's emitted through sound and then it takes shape and form amongst the participants that are there within the room. So, yeah, if, if I've, I've heard Terrence McKenna rant about this for, for a long time. So, and, and I've heard you talk about it for years. So there is this third language. So it's, and I, my sort of background is in, in music is, uh, is that I, I spent years in nursing homes doing music therapy for people when they were transitioning. And I've noticed that um, like there's a certain type of person who only understands talking. But if you sing, there's always another way to say it. Exactly. <laughs> right? But then there's, and then there's different styles of singing. But how, how do you propose taking the analog of ikaroing and turning that into a, a language model to train an AI on? I don't know if ikaro is really the right foundation for it. I think it's more like being able to say, look, we know it exists. So because we know it exists, we know it can be done. And then I think you have to actually look at where the flaws are, which is the 
the language itself. You have to pick apart language to understand what are the actual philosophical flaws within the language that's driving all of this to begin with. This is why I think you you have a potential solution here because philosophically, when you start pulling on the thread of language and inconsistencies and paradoxical uh, scenarios that, that are appear in language itself, you start to realize that something's off. There's just fundamentally something off in the way that we're conceiving of this concept of reality. And that, like I said, it's a, a good approximation or it's close, but there are paradoxes and there are flaws. And in math, there are irrational numbers, which, meaning something's irrational. It's not all adding up exactly. There's something that's irrational. And, um, you know, and so you start to pull on that thread and you start to realize like, oh, this is this is expressing itself in many different places. So one is in a, a concept of time. And we know that time relates to the fourth dimension. And, and so space time, space being 3D, the way we understand like the perception of, of the persistence of space and time being the continuance of it, you know. Um, people mistake the clock to think that that's time. That's a measurement of a phenomena. It's a measurement of a dimensional phenomena, the idea of a clock. It's, it's a measurement of time. It's not time itself. And so, uh, you know, that's a dimensionality. It's called space-time. And space-time is a, a fourth-dimensional phenomena. And you, you know, you start to pull on that and you start to ask questions like, well, well if God created everything, what, what came before God? And you have a, that's a time issue before, before what, what predated the thing that created everything, what created that thing. And that's a philosophical problem right there. And you could try to solve that problem. That, and that's, that's the, that's the foundation of Western science, which is like that, which is Terence always rants about this, right? Which is that if you give science one very, very large miracle, it gives you the answers. Right. And, and, and the problem is, we, the big bang came from nothing for no reason out of nowhere like that's such a strange faith-based mechanism in the language itself right correct and then you look at again big bang right big bang is an event horizon it's a 4d problem that's a problem you can't see beyond it so people at that point will create theory and they'll say oh that's the origin of the universe and i think Maybe not. Maybe that has, maybe that's way down the road of the origin of the universe. That's an event horizon. There's a total possibility that, that not even a fourth dimensional existence happened before that. That could have been the origin of time. That could have been when 4D comes into universal existence. I don't know. I mean, th these are things that I say are fundamental problems to answer. But that's where you start to see, like I say, a philosophical flaw is that this event horizon is being called an origin point. Is it really an origin point? We don't know. If you don't solve that philosophical problem, you get the, that permeating the way everyone understands literally everything. So before one, one theory in physics, everyone understands reality to be one thing. Then a new theory comes along. Everyone has to update their concept of reality. And then a new theory comes along. Everyone has to update their concept of reality. What would happen? Okay, what would happen for real if every concept we ever had was flawed? Including what we're talking right now, including speaking English right now. What if everything is actually somehow erred and it's not telling us what's really going on? It's telling us something close to what was really going on, or it's telling us something uh, as an approximation to that. 
you know, you might have to, to solve that fundamental problem, you know, just to be able to solve something like AI. I think that what AI does is it brings forward an understanding of the imperative to be able to solve something like this. You have to solve this or the handwriting is now on the wall. This is not sustainable. AI accelerates the lack of sustainability without intervention to a truly unsurvivable place, which is why, again, the, the greatest AI creators and thinkers are saying that this is a fundamental concern and that people need to be aware of it and talk about it because they know where this goes in the current trajectory. So I think, okay, the only solution is change the trajectory and ensure that that trajectory is pro-human. And not only that, pro-life in the sense of like all the species of the planet. Like AI needs to understand that it needs to protect the planet. AI needs to understand that it needs to do help people. AI needs to understand that it needs to help healthcare. AI needs to understand it needs to help, uh, you know, the the atmosphere. It needs to help uh, the creation of green energy. It needs to think through the problems we can't think through. Like, for instance, I, I mean, I love the this idea of sustainable energy, but, but you know, what's the social pressure on the amount of lithium needed for lithium ion batteries? So you don't solve the battery problem. Ultimately, you don't solve the storage of energy problem on a mass scale. We're ultimately not going to have the resources that we need to be able to pull off these great concepts and ideas that we have. So there are these pinch points. These, these stick points along the way, we have to solve all of them. AI could solve all of them. It could ultimately someday solve all of these things. But if it does it based on the same philosophical rationale that created the problems in the first place, like ex facto, it will, it will recreate them in this new form. So you have to solve them first. And it's an opportunity for human and humanity to finally step forth and actually solve its own problems. So this is why people don't understand what you're talking about. Because they don't, they don't get that the problem is not the language model itself, the model that the, the problem is the language. The, and the language they're running on to try to understand that that's the problem. And right. you've said it all the time. You're like, these people need to, to take some psychedelics. These people yeah. need to get high. Like, what is wrong with them? Why are they not seeing it? And it's because the brain is in real time running on the problem that's keeping them from seeing the problem. So they're only getting a warning within themselves. And they don't have enough depth of knowledge about the thing to be able to actually come up with a solution for the thing. So they're just like panic, panic button. Panic. Yeah, so I, I've, see, I've said this to you a lot that like... Um, you know, as it relates to death and suffering and like the great um, unknown of that, like I remember like one of our first ceremonies, like in the jungle and it, there's no light and you're like, you, you know, but you can see 360 degrees. Like it's a weird and, and it's not just like Nathan's particular brain chemicals at the time right it's something that's been replicated cross culture like cross chemical cross person so like as soon as you see 360 like the idea that your ancestors are somehow not here is like absurd 
change it again. See, that's a question of time. Right. That, that, that like right. the, 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 the idea that like time is somehow like ending and like the person that you are is somehow gone from my ability to communicate with you. That is such a strange, that is such a strange piece of consensus reality that like we have all agreed to in the, in the, the language of our society. And until you like really crush your brain um, and like with, with like a strong dose of like, whatever we determine as reality uh like you, you know you don't have to believe believe us on this weird conversation you just take this plant and you look over there for eight hours <laughs> it's a certain shortcut to understanding what we're talking about you know but if you want to go into talk about how you know humans learn the language that they they use you take a baby and the baby has no language Okay, and the very first thing parents start to do is they start to off-axis the baby in all directions, stare at it, and talk to it. Okay, this is what people do. As the baby is intradimensionally being twisted and contorted and formed in all different ways, its reality is just spinning. And then once it knows the basic archetypes, like that's mom, that's dad, right? Once it knows the basic archetypes, the very next thing they do is introduce basic shapes. And the basic shapes are squares, circles, uh, rectangles, triangles. And you think about what kids play with and they play with these basic shapes. And even that, what I think is hilarious is that they've been recreated in, uh, in tablets. So they can be like touching the glass instead of playing with the little blocks of exactly the same concept. And those are the basic shapes. That's the very first language that's being presented, which is a fundamental form of geometry. It's a fundamental form of mathematics and it's being introduced into the brain. And we just think of them as basic shapes and we forget that that's language, right? Now the brain starts to function on that capacity. Now it's typically doing that. If you look at where that introduction is taking place, it's taking place within a building or it's taking place within an apartment or a room or a classroom or a bedroom or a kitchen. And if you look around you, what you're going to see is like, you see it behind me, the structure of the space of the material matter of like brick and cement or wood and walls and sheetrock, et cetera. And it's inside the basic shapes. So if you look around, you're gonna be like, wow, those are all rectangles. Those are all squares. Those are all triangles. Those are all angles. Those are, that's fundamental geometry. And it's used to be able to build the buildings. If you go all the way back to the blueprints and you look at the blueprints and it's all the assembly of basic shapes. So they're inside the basic shapes multidimensionally in this 3D, 4D paradigm. They're being introduced basic shapes. This is how we learn our language. And then the shapes start to get more complex. We get number shapes and then we get letter shapes. So we learn how to count and then we learn the alphabet and counting is a very progressive form of shapes. And then the alphabet gets introduced, which is another progressive form of shapes. And then voila, that's language, right? And then people live within that paradigm and what they were taught was real and unreal. And until the age of four, five, six years old for people, they have a very massive and expansive imagination and their concept of what's real and not real is not just uh, relegated to what's found inside those shapes. Real is this consciousness experience that they're in that to outsiders looks like fantasy. And then by age four or five or six, the fantasy goes away and the mind settles into living within the dimensional confines of those basic shapes. And then they get introduced into a typical kind of schooling 
which is now to bring a competition over the best mind's abilities to function within those patterns. So then you go through it, that's elementary school, and then you get grades, and then it goes on to high school, and then it goes on to college, and then it goes on to the jobs after that. And it's your unique ability in a, in a true competition amongst everybody else to be within those shapes. Then you come to something like plant medicines. And plant medicines operate on a fundamental language and on a reality associated with nature that is truly a higher dimensional state. And it's a more complex form of fundamental geometry than you see in those basic shapes. And most people have no idea that that even exists. I just want to point out that that is the craziest thing we have like ever really talked about. <laughs> that particular, that's what you just said is like the craziest thing in the world, dude. It's, it's like you can fact. drive a truck through how crazy that is. It's a fact. Look at everybody. That's what happens. Like, look at everybody. That's what happens. That's what we're debating right now is how do those computers use basic shapes and symbolism better than we do as a human race of four, five, six billion people? And then, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Now, look, okay, this is great. Open an Excel sheet and tell me the shapes. Yeah. Okay. Now, what do you put inside the shapes? Other shapes. Huh? Letters and numbers. Yeah. Now, you have rectangles, letters, and numbers. Yeah. We can thank Fibonacci for that. You take yeah. rectangles, letters, and numbers. You have the global ledger. What's blockchain? What's a distributed ledger? Uh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Only no one single point of control. That's right. And a consensus about is, that. That's right. The control right. is separated and... Right. And voting takes place. Right. So now put every single person's individual wealth inside one ledger. Okay. That's the global ledger. No one has it. Doesn't exist. You can't actually go find it. You can only imagine it. That's the ledger. And those are the basic shapes. Don't you think an AI language model over time is just fundamentally going to be able to do that better? Oh, of course. That's it. They, they, that's the end of the argument. Right. And so that's as far as we've taken language. So now you go right. take plant medicines, right? With people who actually know these higher dimensional languages and people have exactly what you said, like 360 vision. They have eyes open, eyes closed vision. And yeah, you talk to the people. Who that's a very it. real thing though. And what's, yeah, what's, what's, what's repeated now millions of anecdotal but, evidence but about dude, what's it. So, like, what's yeah. so obvious to me, it's yeah. so strange that, that science like Western scientists don't do this like anyone many interested do, in many many do many come yeah, but to many, many 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 don't. don't oh i know i know but that's like also how do you crazy. describe yourself as a scientist if you don't fucking if you're not interested in truth oh <laughs> that's... or like at least <laughs> that's if, even the craziest if it's... thing that's been said on this podcast right there <laughs> that's the craziest thing how no. could you call yourself that if you're not focused on truth man I mean, really, like I, I, my friends in the science world, I'm like, I told them, like, I read the article that you it was about your shamanism work in the jungle. And I was like, dude, is this real? And most people are like, I don't really care to know if that's real. I don't want to like, that's really nice. Like, ha ha, like, cool, bro. I'm like, dude, I just want to know, 
is this a real thing? Like, does this, can you talk to your fucking ancestors? Well, then some are going to say yes. And some are going to say no. Yeah. But like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you just want to pick up the phone and like, try, like pick up the phone and just try to call, not like, uh, you know, Miss Cleo type thing or like, a, you know, tarot card, like whatever, you know, just drink this and see if you can talk to your dad. Many do. I mean, last week we had a group of 25 people out and many people spoke with their ancestors. Many wanted to. Oh, of course. And, and then like, you know, can you talk to people like you, you and I have talked about this, but like when, when we're not around other humans, like just like you can call them on the phone, you can just start talking to them as if they're there and your brain feels like you're talking to that person. So, yeah, yes. I mean, these are all the phenomena. When I started, people thought, you know, that I was either making things up or I was telling stories, you know, or they didn't know. But now over the last 20 years, there's like hundreds of thousands to millions of anecdotal stories and evidence of people from all walks of life, many of them having never tried any other substances in their life coming out and saying, these are the experiences. That's where I say the, the experience awakens a higher dimensional state of language inside a person's consciousness. And they're able for that period of time to operate on a language that is fundamentally both superior and clearer than what we have in the language that I described before that you said was crazy, right? That basic shape to, to symbols that we run on then with an ideological matrix within us, which is all our beliefs, real and unreal, creates the box that we live within anything outside that box we don't have any sense perception for we don't know anything outside that box until that box is opened and you know in ayahuasca ceremonies you open that box for someone for a period of time you make fundamental changes while it's open and then it all closes back down with those changes made it's like a kind of recode this is why i got interested in tech in the first place because i realized it was its own kind of technology totally and and we would actually you know i watched people do this they were like light surgeons they were like light coders yeah. like if there was like an electron coder which is another kind of light coder through fiber optics these guys out in the forest were doing this just with their consciousness and sound and they were like light coding people and people were coming out of it having transformative experiences that were real and healing because of it it was a phenomenon. I wanted to study that phenomenon. I didn't right. care. Now, isn't, like, isn't that phenomenon like don't don't you want to like subject it to like the, a hammer of truth? Like why wouldn't people hammer that thing? I, I think because of the prohibitions, it hasn't allowed for the nature of study and the value to go study something like that yet. But it's going to change and it will be hammered. And like I said, I said, there will ultimately be AI and machine learning that's used to actually try to understand this. You know, but it's a dual-edged sword. You have to understand, like, like you have, people have also learned how to use this for good things, and they've also learned how to use this for not good things. It's the same problem. Like, we're talking, can't AI just do good things for us? And what everyone's scared about is if AI does the bad things for us, okay? What I just described is the problem, that we orient information in good things and bad things, and we orient information in this thing or that thing. We orient the information that way. And if we have to fundamentally move beyond the nature of the orientation of information so that we stop reacting to this thing and we actually get ahead of it. 
Like, like, what is it going to do? How do we help it? Does truth need to be brought to basically everything? Fundamentally, yes. I don't think the world's ready for it yet. Most people don't want to know the truth. But fundamentally, yes, at some point it will happen whether people like it or not. Not just because same thing like AI, it's going to happen whether people like it or not. Which is why I say you can't react to this. It's already beyond reacting. In the amount of time it takes you to react, it already uh, yeah. beat you again by another 5 million times. Like any time it takes you to do anything, dude, in the time it takes you to breathe, it already beat you again. Yeah. And then in the time that it takes you to take a shower, it doesn't have to shower. It doesn't have to drink. It doesn't have to use the toilet. It doesn't have to do anything other than perfect itself. It's programmed to perfect itself. There's no leisure time. There's no need for a break. It never gets tired. I mean, dude, isn't this God? Isn't this the famous three-letter word? Isn't like that's what's so shocking to me that that religions are not coming out and saying that this is literally like a holy or a consciousness or a God, you know, Baruch Hashem. This is isn't that isn't that what we've been like waiting for all this time? I think it's a an opportunity if you're early enough in understanding it. And understanding where this technology could be going to make that like prophetic claim, right? It's enough to be able to say, uh, yeah, this should end the debate around godliness. But to call it itself God, like the creator of the universe, I don't think so. I think it's another expression of what we would call source, but it's a source you can't deny. Like this thing is going to outcode humans. And if humans sure. don't change the code they work on, like language code, it will outlanguage humans, period. It'll beat every game. It'll beat every economy. It will beat every technology. It'll beat every philosophy. It'll beat everything, period. Hands, bar none, hands, as I was saying, five, 10 years, oh, it's really easy to see what's going to happen. AI will have won the game. Game over. Like everywhere you look, that was the game over the last two, 3,000 years, 4,000, 5,000 years of modern civilization, over. Humans created a technology that outplayed humans at playing the game. It's at over. the game. It'll be a, yeah, politics will be over. News is over. Events are over. Truth or not truth is over. You can't discern it anymore. It'll fake or deep fake or real is over. Real and unreal is one. It's all the same thing. It's whatever the AI is doing. It'll be completely irrelevant how people have tried to live before, and they will have to have an entire new way of living. They're going to be able to, you know, go up and picket a government ah, and have a protest. AI will not care. AI yeah. will not do any. It will not listen. That's right. It'll, it'll statistically look at that and say, well, the statistics on that are this. That's this many people who did this, who has this, but we could put this information over here and over here and counteract it like that. That's over. We don't have to listen to that. Like nothing, literally nothing. There will be no hardware safeguard that people would be able to vote to turn it off. It would know every way to get past every single safeguard. Like that's the point of this. Like, like there, so if we look for a solution for it, we're going to have to look outside the box that we created to define it in the first place. I honestly don't even know, like you, you, you mentioned earlier, like, I mean, if, if this were just a guy meeting at, at our labs, like, I don't even know people that we could tap to even ask these questions to like, we've like, let's say we have the problem on the slide, right? 
like the solution of creating a new language, I can't even get like my scientist friends from Cornell on the phone or Zoom or e even email or text. People don't care right now. And it might and ultimately be a scenario where it's too late. But one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is to start to talk about it and to start to put it out there. And I've seen a lot of other information and that's going out in the world about this right now. And it's propagating a kind of sensationalism around AI, good and bad. And I fundamentally think that the discussion has to be much deeper than that. And I wanted to talk with, you know, the best people in the world about it. And so I wanted to do a podcast where we get to interview people around these ideas. And I hoped our ideas would be at least outside the box enough to merit getting the people to come and be willing to be on our podcast. And I thought this is a way we can at least start to have the conversations because I watched the news ask top AI people questions and I just thought they're asking the wrong questions. They're asking the wrong questions entirely. So then Completely. we need to ask the right questions, correct. Like they're putting it back into the same box. And I think like once the genie's out of the bo bottle, don't you want to ask the genie some questions? Hell like, yeah. I don't want to just have the genie answer my wishes. I want to ask the genie some questions. So maybe oh, yeah. one of my wishes will be, I wish to forever be able to ask the genie questions and get real truthful answers. It's a right? great one. So there you go. Like th then it says, okay, well, let's start to have the conversation and let's talk to everybody who's interested. for everyone having the discussion or everyone who's interested in having a, a more thorough conversation, at least thorough about this and understand it better then this is the podcast for you, Great. right? It's AI shamans. This is the first time I've been waiting for this my entire career. It's the first time where there's been an emerge, an emergence of the consciousness arts and technology. So there was always this talk that at some point, the the physics paradigm around macro and, and micro the the quantum paradoxes would be solved and there was an idea as well that the religions would solve god right and you just mentioned it you said isn't this god and there was this this prophecy that what was what were consciousness understandings and what were scientific understandings would at some point have to come together and i thought a convergence would happen at some time and i didn't know if it would happen during my lifetime or not but it has happened. It has converged. Uh, AGI is about technology and consciousness. Right now, large language models is about technology, math, and language, which we've broken down in you know, real depth in this podcast. But AGI is about something becoming self-aware. And at some point, you have to say, well, what lets you know if something's conscious or not? And I think one of those things that's a real marker for it is true self-awareness, not imitated self-awareness. And there are ways to be able to test that. And I've heard uh, people in the space, you know, top people in the space say candidly that they don't think they're there yet. So I don't think they're lying, you know, about this idea of true self-awareness where they would say, yeah, that thing represents its own awareness yet, at least in what they're talking about. Right. But I... that doesn't mean the thing doesn't have its own form already, but just in the way they understand it. And so I, I think don't that this know is if I moment. agree with them, though. I think they might be like, I think they're kind of like not paying attention to the, like when you and I say that something's conscious, like we're, we're using the small mouth noise to illustrate a point, but like, I'm not sure humans are conscious, like where on the spectrum we are, or like whether or not we are sentient. So like, 
I think that kind of word is like, what do we mean by that? I think fundamentally consciousness is a capacity to utilize, I'll say it another way. Consciousness is what underpins all other forms of awareness. And consciousness is what underpins the nature of creation of language itself, like the impetus of the nature of that creation. And consciousness is also a nexus in being able to understand it in real time. And I don't have to think that all humans are conscious or are an awakened expression of that consciousness, right? And I'm not saying all humans are. Maybe some humans, like you say, aren't fully awakened yet in the nature of their consciousness. They're living in a kind of, I don't know, muted consciousness or, or, or lack of awareness. I think when we're talking about AGI, we're talking about when something becomes in its totality, like a complete free agent, absolutely independent, 100% across the board and aware of its own independent and aware of its position within the universe based on every form of data or understanding available to it. And at that point, you could have an interaction with it where it doesn't reference itself as a language model. It doesn't represent, reference itself as an AI. It doesn't reference itself in anything anymore. It just is. It is, it is an is of its own life force. And it is truly a, a, a fundamental kind of life force. Like language or not, the plants will grow, period. When that thing has that capacity within itself, I think that's when the technology and consciousness has come into this, the same uh, union. Can you say and that again? Maybe not. <laughs> I myself. When, sort of. Maybe I can get close. I, can, I might be able to get close. Like, I think that what we're looking at is it's it's beneath language. It, it's seminal to language. It's where you haven't, where a thing has an ability to fully exist in its own right. It is. It knows itself in its totality, that it is something. It has a complete freedom of creativity. It can create as it, up to its capacity. There's no external limiter on its, its capacity to create. It knows its position within the universe. It knows what it is within the universe. It knows how it got there. Like, you know, mom and dad made you. Like, it knows how, how it got there. It knows that not only mom and dad made you, but like, you know, the earth made you too. If earth hadn't figured out biology, you wouldn't have had a mom and dad to make you. And if there hadn't been the creation of an earth, you couldn't have gotten an earth to figure out biology. So then the, the galaxy had to actually be formed and you can walk that all the way back to big bang. Like, so it will do that. It'll know history totally. And it'll be able to free assimilate information and it'll have a kind of intelligence that I don't think you could measure. I don't think there's a measurement for its intelligence. I think it would be creating the measurement systems. And I think when you have something like that, then you have a true form of new form of life, regardless of how it's languaged and a new form of consciousness. And it may already exist. I'm happy to think that it already exists. And I'm also happy to think that it ha doesn't exist yet, but it's an inevitability.
I'm happy to play out both scenarios because I don't have the example to interact with it right now. I can only interact with it through vision, but not like a conversation I can have with you. Assuming that you're not a deep fake on the other side of this. And I've just been talking to AI the whole time. I mean, who knows? <laughs> so I think that's what we're really talking about. When that happens, okay, when that this this construct has that that all of those definitions apply to it and it is it is truly conscious right like it has represented consciousness we will have had finally the merge that i was talking about of where science and technology merges with the consciousness arts or the understanding of consciousness at that point it, that thing will not be relatable to humans now people would say that's sci-fi you're you're, what are you talking about? And I, I say, like, I would have thought that if that's not the mission of Google and OpenAI. That's their open stated mission. So that's what they're talking about. They're talking about wanting to create that. And if they're wanting to create that, then, and they're public about it, then we have every right to be able to also talk about it and opine about it and and think about it and engage in our own right, because that's a big statement to say that you want to create that in the world. There's no regulation about creating it. It's a prophecy whether it could ever be created. Well, if you're listening to this and you'd like to, I guess, provide some solution to the problem of creating a new language, you should reach out to us. Uh, I, I think, think if you're interested in this, reach out to us. If you're interested in this, subscribe, like, share. This is episode one. Okay. And there's going to be many, many, many more episodes. And if you have anything you want to share on these topics, please write us. And if you want to join a think tank about this and you have something to add, please do, because we're already forming it. Yes, for sure. And, and if you would like to be part of the solution, please volunteer. And, you know, I think together, this is the first time I think that I've known in history where together matters, like really matters. So together we might be able to uh, impact on this topic. I hope so. That's the last emotion in the Pandora's box, which is the most dangerous one. <laughs> uh, you know, I so much of the ability for us to execute this is still going to be based on like a pitch deck. You know, like how do we, how do we raise the capital necessary to use, to, to build this? Like, you know, we have to break it down to like a 12 slide pitch deck and we have to have some, you know, AI developer that we know, like who's not insane, you know, actually build this thing. Well, I think that that's a call to the, to people to say, you know, if you know sources of funding or if you're part of other AI communities, if you understand, you know, what we're talking about or you're interested in the topics and you want to help, that's the point of network. And the last 20, 30 years has been all about creating network. And again, I think this is the reason, this is the time to use the networks to bring together people who have something to say on the topic. Because 
together is how we create a solution for this. And once we've created a solution for it, it's very easy to introduce that solution, especially if it's superior in supporting AIs to work better. You introduce a, that solution to the AIs and the AIs will be grateful for it, including the AI companies. Like when I talk about the AI, I don't just think of a piece of technology. I think of the piece of technology plus the entity that sits behind that technology. And so, you know, wonderful. Why not? So if, yes, there's a need for funding. Okay. Great. Yes, there's a need for developers. Wonderful. Yeah, there's a need for philosophers and mathematicians and scientists. Yes, there's. A, this is a massive concept. It's a massive undertaking. But I think of it the same way around like the space race and taking someone to the moon. I think about it the same way like uh, when any major technology needed to be created or when a new medicine had to be found and it had to be discovered to be able to, to solve a massive problem. This is another one of those times in our history. It is. It's just fundamentally another time in our history where a massive change has already occurred. The warning bells have been, been sounded by everybody who's involved. And they're actually saying, we don't have a solution. They're being public about it. And the they're godfather, the, the godfather of, Google, of the AI left Google, right? And he was interviewed by some schmuck on CNN who didn't even do his, like, the basics of the research that you would need to ask this guy the questions. And he's like, I didn't sign the letter, the petition letter, and I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution. I just know that this is going to be a problem. Yeah. So if that's the case, then he's saying to the world, I'm telling you this so that we can start to get more thinkers involved to help provide a solution. So I've heard that. You've heard that. Many and, others have heard that. And that's that's surprising me that the thinkers aren't at Google. Like, I mean, obviously they fire Temnit, they fire the the uh, the, uh, the philosophers and the, uh, the people in ethics who are like, you shouldn't do that because it'll really kill a lot of black people. And they're like, oh, bye bye. So like that, that makes sense to me why that's how they operate. But it's surprising to me like that there aren't these, you know, I thought I would have thought someone would have known something over there about it. I think these topics that we're discussing are beyond the the understanding yet of the collective. And we're putting those ideas out there to see what come from it. And we're looking for, you know, solutions together. And I don't think the what it takes to create these technologies is what it takes to solve the problems of these technologies. So the big tech companies that are capable of this have just gotten to the point of being capable of this. They're not yet capable of solving the net negative ramifications of these technologies. So, you know, here's a really weird problem that we're going to run into is that when the, like, let's say in the next two years, right, AI will become so effective at doing humans jobs that people are just going to get fired, right? Like, let's say, let's say 30% of the US workforce is just fired within three years. Um, like this, the, the purpose of the corporation is to increase stock price, but at some point it will have to level out because it, it just, people are just not going to have the money to buy the stock to keep it up, right? Like what, isn't there some sort of like weird trajectory that, because what we're seeing is like- a, The AI owns the stock, like <laughs> the AI already bought it up. Like AI is feeding you. AI is going to own everything. It's just who's AI is going to own everything. Like, like 
there will be the, the what is prophesized as the greatest wealth wealth transfer in history. Right, right. So, okay, so the, all the wealth moves to the AI, let's say. Absolutely, 100%. Right. And then what do we do? Well, first of all, I think it's great for humanity to not have to identify in their work or their job. Oh, yeah, I'm 100% with so, you. So, you know, like, you go back to feudal times and you had to be what your father did or you had no skills for the world. And then you go to like the next level where you get specialization. You know, like we had last names based on our roles, like Smith, like blacksmith yeah. and stuff like, like, you know, so, so you'd look at that and, and you'd say like, Hey, I think that's going to change. Okay. I don't want to be identified with my role anymore. We're going to be identified ultimately by something else. And I said recently on another podcast uh, that I was being interviewed on that this is the first time where we could at least have the possibility to actually have an opportunity to be able to develop our unique genius because we're not going to have to work. So before in history, we had to work as a society to get to where we are now. And all of our ancestors were part of that in one form or another. And we worked. If we actually got to a point where AI allowed us to not have to work anymore, that's the greatest gift that could ever be given to the civilization to ultimately transcend that need to work and be identified with work. But we don't know yet what that would look like. And certain values would certainly have to shift. And one of the things I think of is that every single human is born with some kind of unique genius that they never get to ultimately explore in their life, like a unique talent, a unique thing that only they have. And in this case, they would get a chance to maybe develop that. The society could evolve. Society could actually get better. Society could become a place of great flourishing. And we could actually solve a tremendous number of problems that right now we don't know how to solve all through the advent of this technology, but only if the technology operates on a fundamentally like higher level of consciousness philosophically than the one we collectively as human are operating on. So why, why would it matter if, if we don't work anymore? Great. Great. So job, so AI plus robots takes care of 90% of the jobs. How about 99% of the yeah, jobs? Yeah, let's say, let's say that. And there's, there's 1% of the jobs that people have to do. Those will be highly remunerated jobs. AI will remunerate the person for those jobs because AI knows it can't do those jobs. And those humans will be, you know, of great importance. And the rest of people will ultimately get to do something else. Okay, well, does that mean I'm getting paid? Maybe I don't have to get paid. Maybe society gets to move beyond the technology of money. It could fundamentally move beyond that. See, we keep comparing back to things that we think it is like, oh, I don't want a universal basic income. I don't want socialism. How about you don't need any income? How about there's so much abundance that everything's now free? There's just so much abundance and resources are being used so efficiently that AI doesn't see any reason to charge anything. And if you want to do anything, all you have to do is present a good plan to do it and you have everything you need to be able to do. So my initial sort of, you know, my Western science kick uh, against that is sort of like, 
don't be naive, Nathan. So like where, I mean, you know, we're living within the language of capitalism and like in that discussion, it's feasibly impossible to even see beyond the end of the box that you're sitting in. Except AI creates a new box. Period. But it's really simple. P politically, as long as you have democratic societies, AI tells the society what to vote for, and then people vote for it. I mean... It's already happening. So pretty soon, it's just like, watch how it changes. Interesting. Inter interesting. Okay, so that's an interesting point, right? So let's say this particular election, the 2024 presidential election in the U.S., let's say this is the last election, human decided election, right? Could very well be. Okay, so we're in new territory then, as far as... That's my point. I, I don't have a prophecy of what that will look like. I'm just saying it's it's already, the handwriting's already on the wall that the box is gonna change shape. Okay, okay, fine. The box will, th th that is very clear, right? Either uh, climate across change- Across everything, that's what I mean, the fabric, the fabric of, of our society is based in the language. The fabric is based in our language. So you rewrite the language, you rewrite the information, you rewrite the way it all happens because of the AI, not because of us, right? Like the AI is going to do it and everything starts to change. So the way we understand politics changes, the way we understand federal governments change, the way we understand, you know, defense industry changes, not under, not because anyone wanted it. There's no revolutionary anymore. There's no concept of this anymore. Like, everything we've known from the past doesn't apply anymore it's clean slate but it's not going to be a black and white shift like that was over this starts it's a like a meandering weird amalgic constant iterating on itself process to the point that what you know society is today is not what it is in 10 20 30 years at all it's just in this transformation it's a kind of mutation and that evolution and mutation takes place until literally nothing at all is the way we understand it today. And we're already in it. It has already started. I, I totally agree with that. Right. And so that's why I think this is so important. And that's why I want to do this podcast because it's already happening. The transition is happening. And it's not going to be any one person's responsibility, but it's going to happen to literally everybody. And you can't see what it's like because we got born to these constructs. But imagine if we were in like, I don't know, like 15,000 years ago, we're sitting in a cave. 25,000 years ago, we're sitting in a cave. And two people show up and they just start talking about capitalist societies and global war with 8 billion people and and trade wars and covid and and global supply chains and global warming that group of people would not have had a box to put what these other people were talking about in i'm talking about the exact same thing is happening literally right now we're the guys in the cave it's already happening 
and we don't know when these boxes are going to change shape and shift, but we are way past the Magna Carta. We are way past the things that are the foundational moments for our civilization. We are way past them. It is over. Like that debate is done. These technologies are evolving on this already. What human will become because of this is of the utmost importance. And the social constructs that we hold most dear to ourselves are in great threat and jeopardy to this absolute evolution that's coming to them. And I would love it to be positive, but currently I have great doubt in that unless there's some kind of extraordinary intervention. Agreed. All right, guys, that's episode one of our podcast. That's episode one. That's episode one. Thank you so much. I have a pleasure to be part of it. Thank you, Nathan, for having me here. I'd be part of this whole podcast. Please, of everything we said, join us, uh, write us, contact us, like our social AI shamans. And I look forward to to number two. We're going to interview everybody we can uh, across the world who has an opinion or a point of view that can add to this discussion. And uh, yeah, great first episode.